0: Good morning, uh, please turn to James 5. Uh, the book of James is all about being undivided. The, the letter is structured around uh, a phrase that doesn't seem extremely significant uh, at first, but it, uh, structured around the simple phrase, God is one. Uh, the, sta- the statement uh, is kind of a theme for the book, the idea, the idea being that God is one, therefore we should be one uh, in the sense of undivided. You get these, uh, over and over, these themes of of division, of being internally conflicted as individuals, uh, to being internally convic- conflicted as uh, congregations. And so the, we have this idea of, um, Since God is one, there should be one center to our lives. There should be one highest joy of our lives. There should be one uh, highest treasure in our lives. And uh, we're going to, that's kind of the backdrop for what we're looking at today. Let's pray before we begin. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, so that our our passage here, uh, verses seven through eleven, starts with therefore. So let me give you a little more background, just to understand the therefore. Uh, the beginning of chapter five is looking at the destruction of the rich, and uh, you know that has every reason to make us nervous because we're, um, you know, Americans are very wealthy. Uh, he has particularly in mind. Uh, he talks about in chapter 2, rich who are putting them in prison. We're talking about these rich who are worldly and uh, who are uh, persecuting James' audience. Uh, so uh, the, the idea is that, as you look at the de- descru- destruction described in, at the beginning of James 5, is that uh, since the worldly, the self-indulgent rich will be judged at any moment, don't imitate their lives. Since the worldly self-indulgent rich will lose their wealth, don't desire what they have. Uh, since the worldly self-indulgent rich will be left with nothing, seek a different treasure. So we want to go through suffering with undivided hearts. We're going to see that God is one, so we will go through suffering focused on him. It is, it is a dangerous thing to go through suffering longing for wealth that God has not given you. With that said, let's, let's read today's passage, James 5, 7 through 11. Uh, hear the word of our Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Today we're going to see how undivided followers of Christ go through suffering. Uh, Those who are wholly devoted to God wait on God to bring good through their suffering. Uh, They maintain love for other believers, and they reconsider what the good life looks like. Let's start with verses 7 and 8, where we are encouraged to wait on God to bring good from our suffering. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Consider the farmer. Farming has always been grueling work. You've got, um, you know, you gotta plow your land and often in the past that's involved, you know, using some sort of ox or mule to to pull a plow through the land. And right now, probably a lot of you are thinking about Michael Landon without his shirt on, sweating. Some of y'all don't know who Michael Landon is, and that's okay, too. So, uh, you know, you've got the tilling process where you're taking those larger clods and breaking them up until there's something soft. And uh, worst-case scenario, you're doing that with a hoe, which uh, would just take days and days and days. Um, And especially if you're trying to make enough for your family to live on and maybe to have a little bit extra, you've got to carefully plant the seeds. and, And then the hoe comes back out for you know the rest of the season as you try to battle weeds at least that's what I hear I'm a very bad gardener and I I don't do all those things my wife will tell you about that if you ask her um, and so you know that's on top of all the other things that you have to do and other crops that might be going at the same time so it's just grueling work. and James says that you know the farmer has the early rain you need that rain to get the seed uh, germinating and also the late rain around harvest time And um, and, and then there's all this labor. He's focused on the labor that's involved. Um, you've got this couple of months before anything comes from the labor. If you think about, I mean, sometimes I like to imagine I'm from another planet, and, and what would things seem like to me if I were from that other planet? And so you've got these things, you know, this pile of seeds, which your family could get a meal out of, and then someone comes along and says well you know what really works well is if you bury them in the ground Well, you've got to work for a couple weeks first and then you bury them in the ground and and then you get to work for a couple more months and then you'll have lots and lots of food and that seems like a a pretty awful bargain you think I'll I'll probably just go forage for berries or something Um, and yeah that's what you know farmers do they put forth that effort and The farmer is patient. He works for weeks with a certain end in mind. Uh, You know, he's patient in the sense that he doesn't look at the ground. You know, a week after the seeds are planted, he's putting in all this work and say, you know, there's there's got to be a better way and walk away from it and stop caring for it. Uh, Even if you're a pitiful gardener like me, who tries to do as little work as possible, you you still know that as soon as you plant this garden, this is why I resist it, as soon as you plant this garden, it's going to keep calling you back for for weeks and weeks um, until the the crop comes. And that's exactly how we're supposed to be. We need to plant our hearts in the soil of Christ. We need to establish our hearts. We need to, uh, to, to set our hearts on Christ until we see the harvest that comes from it. And that harvest could be several things. Uh, the harvest could come as a time of relief from hardship. I think that's uh, one idea. Uh, that you know, you're going through a difficult time and you're waiting, you've called upon the Lord and you're waiting for God to bring relief from sickness or uh, you know, somebody's falsely accusing you or whatever. You've called upon the Lord and you're waiting for a harvest in that sense. It could also be the maturing of your faith, uh, you know, seeing how your, your character grows as you walk with Christ through trouble. Uh, Romans 5 says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us we see a good return for our walking with Christ through suffering Uh, we grow closer to him and more like him of course the the harvest could be are going to be with Jesus in heaven and leaving behind our sin that has troubled us throughout our life and the pain of this life we get to rest in the presence of God with all the saints who have gone before us that is also a an idea of harvest, and of course the, the greatest harvest, the harvest that all these things kind of uh, point to that we look forward to, our, our great hope as Christians, is our final glorification when Christ comes and we are made like him, we are raised with him, we are glorified with him. Uh, we'll live on a perfected and glorified earth. That's the, the ultimate harvest, but there's many small harvests that we experience uh, along the way as believers. And the main difference between us and the farmer is that we don't have a, We don't have any idea how long we're working for. James says, "Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand." I don't think he's saying uh, that he knew Jesus was about to come back for his final judgment. I think he had a, a very particular judgment that was going to humble some of the persecutors who were attacking the church, um, bring relief throughout the empire. Uh, I think we kind of get into a mindset that Christ during this age is far away and distant and you know he'll come back at, at the final judgment but until then he's just you know way far off and he's not coming to our aid but he actually, he absolutely does. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip, he who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. This does not sound like a God who is distant. And Jesus hasn't separated himself from his creation. Rather, he has gone to sit on the throne of the world as king of earth and heaven. Jesus rules right now, and Jesus still overthrows the wicked and brings relief to the oppressed. I think of uh, what Paul encouraged the Thessalonians with the fact that uh, just as God was going to um, come and judge the persecutors of the church in Judea, that he would He would, you know, sooner or later, deal with those who were persecuting them. Uh, He said, "You suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as the churches of Judea did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved." Uh, So he's he's saying, "You suffered the same thing that they suffered." from the Jews, and it says, so, so is always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Paul encourages them that uh, there will come relief from this trouble. Don't think that God has forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten you. Uh, if at some point in the future, the United States is overthrown, you know, that's not something we have to fear, even if that means suffering for us as individuals, because it will be at the time when Jesus decides Uh, by his sovereign power that it needs to happen. When he does it, he will will do it in defense of the poor, in defense of the unborn, in defense of those who who suffer injustice. As Mary said, uh, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Of course, we also know his timing is not our timing. As Peter says, uh, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Uh, We do have to be patient, as James tells us. Listen to the words of Isaiah sixty-four, four: "From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear; no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for Him." I think that verse is really good because it shows us both things. It shows us that we wait on Him, so we we can't expect Him to be on our timetable, but that He does act for those who wait on Him. Ultimately. We are to establish our hearts for when we will encounter the Lord. Jesus may come back next Tuesday for the final judgment, but we don't have to wait for the final judgment to encounter the Lord. You may die tonight. I do not know. I hope not. Or you you may go for a doctor's appointment in 20 years, have a great checkup. You get told you're the picture of health. On the way home, you stop for a burger and then die a week later from some tainted lettuce. Uh, You know, you never know when you're going to face the Lord. Uh, Unlike the farmer who's laboring for a moment that's fairly definite, I mean he may not be sure exactly when the early and late rains are going to come, Um, we have very little clue. But at some moment the king of the world is going to say "Come, come home and that's all I wanted you to do. I just wanted you to be a faithful daughter and friend. student, and serve me for 21 years, and then come home. And if that's what he wants for us, um, we'll be ready to receive it when the time comes. Uh, The one thing you don't want to do is to stop, give up, before the harvest, before you've seen the end of your race. You know, human beings are very bad at waiting, right? As long as it, as soon as it passes you know, the moment you expected for somebody to come, you start looking at your phone every about 30 seconds, and, well, how late are they? Well, they're just two minutes late still. Uh, well, they, it sure would be great if they'd get here already. Um, Saul, the first king of Israel, was commanded to wait for the prophet Samuel at Gilgal. They were at war with, with a huge Philistine army, and uh, Samuel was supposed to, to come after seven days and make a sacrifice to seek guidance from the Lord. In 1 Samuel 13, it says that Saul made it to the seventh day. He waited for six entire days, just like Samuel said. And he must have assumed that Samuel would be there bright and early on the seventh day because he waits around and he gets frustrated and everybody's getting frustrated because they expected Samuel to be there already. And he goes ahead, oh, I'll just make the sacrifice myself. What's the big deal? And Samuel shows up right after that. So he just you know, he was six and a half days in and a minute from being obedient and he gave up the race. He he did not wait for the harvest. And when Samuel gets there, he's furious. And God is furious. He says, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord at your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Uh, that act of impatience revealed Saul's heart of unbelief. Imagine that scenario, but face to face with Jesus. You know, perseverance is so important. Philippians two twelve and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Trust that Jesus will not let you go and then hold on to Jesus. No matter what happens. The one thing we don't want is to learn all the lessons, go on mission trips, catechize your children, serve as an elder in the church, and then one day say, is this it? Why have I deprived myself of so much pleasure? What's the point of all this? What is the point of all these people? And I still might be able to squeeze in a little fun before I kick the bucket. You don't want to be that person. And then the next day, you're face to face with Jesus. You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. If you're growing weary of the old, old story of Jesus, repent. The farmer can wait for the precious fruit of the earth. It's called precious fruit then we can wait for the much more precious fruit of our salvation. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. An eternal weight of glory. Uh, we're talking about so much glory, so much wonder, so much beauty, so much happiness that the suffering we go through now, which is is so substantial, um, will seem like nothing, will seem like a vapor. Um, We can't even compare it. We're working for a harvest that is so eternally marvelous that all pain and futility of this life will seem like nothing. Moving on to verse 9, it says, realize that whenever Jesus does show up in your life, he wants to find you loving your neighbor. Verse nine says, do not grumble against one another brothers so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Throughout our lives, God wants us trusting him, repenting, seeking new obedience. Perseverance looks like this imperfect pursuit of holiness. We sin, we are discontented with our failings, so we turn to Christ and we re- repent and receive, uh, receive a right fellowship with him again and uh, sometimes it feels like we get stuck in a cycle of, of repenting and failing and fighting and uh, not really quite taking hold of the power that he offers us in Christ uh, but ultimately what we want to never do is to give up that fight, to stop coming back to Him when we sin, to stop seeing our sin as awful and something that we need to get away from uh, for dear life. I could, I could fail to persevere by throwing my hands up and saying, well, whatever, uh, forget this whole thing, and some people never quite get to that stage. I think there's a stage before that, and I think that's kind of what James has in mind in verse 9, the stage where we're, we haven't really thrown in the towel yet, but we've found a, uh, an alternative. I could fail to persevere by finding my easy niche in the Christian life, uh, where I'm not too worried about my sins. You know, I could, I've dealt with all the sins that are really embarrassing and then I can just kind of you know uh, cruise on until I die. Uh, that's that's another way that we can fail to persevere. We just we're comfortable with all the sins that we haven't dealt with yet. Um, if if I'm not going to pursue new obedience for myself, if I really don't want to uh, take up my cross and follow Jesus, there is an alternative where I just kind of look for the failings of others and I criticize them. That's why it's talking about not grumbling judging one another. To the untrained observer, the person who focuses on the failings of others can seem really holy. A a person can really seem holy for quite a while by saying, you know, I can't believe that he eats that, and I can't believe she lets her kids watch that, and I can't believe he didn't send me a card when I was in the hospital, and you know, church skate night? Show me that in the New Testament. Um these concerns may be legitimate, but they are ultimately a diversion from, trying to, from, from taking up one's own cross and following Jesus. This is the same issue that James repeatedly addresses in his letter. Uh, James 3, 8-12 says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. We want to seem holy, but our grumbling, uh, our despising words of our neighbor reveal that we're uh, not really persevering. The problem is that when Jesus shows up to judge, or when we die and meet him, he's got perfect vision. His, his glorious holiness will instantly cut through all of our hypocrisy. So we might be able to impress others around us. We might be able to draw a click around us that uh, kind of, you know, just loves every word that drops out of our mouth. But we can't do that with Jesus. Um, when there is sin, confront it lovingly, compassionately, and as privately as possible. That's a beautiful thing as long as we're making our own sin first priority. Because when Jesus shows up, you don't want to be the grumbler. When Jesus arrives, he will only have judgment for the falsely holy judge. I remember a few years ago, my mom mentioned a lady she knew who had gone to her pastor to ask for forgiveness. I said, really, what for? And she said that uh, this lady had been disagreeing with her pastor, and, you know, the pastor was potentially making some bad decisions, but she didn't go to her pastor. She talked about him behind his back with, you know, the other old ladies. And, uh, and she actually went to him to repent and ask for forgiveness. And I was astonished. And that's wonderful. I knew, folks, I, <clears throat> I knew folks complain about their pastors. But, um, <laughs> you know, to, to, to go humbly and ask for forgiveness was just a huge mark of grace that Uh, just super encouraging. that She was fighting her own sin, which is what we need to be doing. Um, Some of us in this room, I'm afraid, have not established our hearts in the Lord. Some of us have reached a comfortable level in our holiness and our worldliness, in our love and in our belligerence, in our worship and in our slander, and God is going to show up in some trial or catastrophe and make us fall. And he will either make us, we will either fall towards him or away from him. And the command is to establish your hearts now. Be discontented with your failings. Go to war. Seek obedience in the places that you dishonor him. Start with the people that you really wish would just find another church home. Make it right with them and ask God for new obedience. In verses uh, 10 and 11, moving on, James tells us to gain a new perspective and reconsider what the good life is. It says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Uh, writer Nate Wilson talks about these uh, two different types of movies in his book Notes from the Tilted a whirl On one hand, you've kind of got the classic hero movie where someone overcomes some incredible odds to succeed. Uh, you know, he or she, she may not be perfect, but we are enthralled with the odds and the obstacles and the victory at the end. I think of the movie uh, The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith, which is just agonizing to watch. It's really painful. And, um, but he's, you know, he's a single dad who's homeless and he manages to rise out of that through just ridiculous hard work to uh, become successful on Wall Street. And you watch that and it's emotionally taxing, but when you walk away you say, man, what an achievement, you know, could I do that? Could I, could, is there any way I could survive that situation? On the other hand, he talks about, you've kind of got these artsy, indie movies that are pretty much about nothing more than the weird quirks of the main character and you know how cute they are for being just kind of weird. There's a hyper focus on the main character but they aren't really doing much but following their impulses. Uh, Ultimately uh, those movies are about the narcissism of the director and you walk away thinking why did I just spend two hours swimming around the psyche of Quentin Tarantino. you know, when we, when we read the stories of the great saints of old, it's not an artsy flick. You know, when they, when they fall, we don't say, well, you can see how Abraham was just so scared of Abimelech. You know, he had so many things going on, right? There was just a lot of issues that you didn't quite see. Now, you know, these sins aren't cute. They're embarrassing. When they go through trials, we don't say... Oh, poor Joseph, he's so pitiful when he's in jail. Isn't that such a sad life? Boy, I'd hate to be him. Uh, when we read about the saints of old, it's more like a hero movie. You know, we read, Joseph went through jail and he never forgot God, and that's, that's amazing. Uh, you know, Jeremiah preached for 40 years, being lonely and rejected and seeing no fruit, but he didn't stop even when everyone thought he was a traitor to the nation for the things he was saying. What a brave man. Can you imagine that? Elizabeth Elliot, not from the Bible, but, you know, she predates us a little. She, didn't, she did not let the murder of her husband stop her from preaching the gospel to the men who murdered him. And, and you, you say, well, what, what a blessed life, what an amazing life. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be like her? We, As James says, we consider them blessed who remain steadfast. They are our heroes. We, we think of them as some of the greatest people that ever walked the earth. As the book of Hebrews says, the world was not worthy of them. They lived the good life. That's, that's how we need to see the good life. Of course, Wilson points out that we're not the star of the hero movies we're in. We play various minor roles. We, we want to nail our roles in a way that makes the hero look good, in a way that makes Christ look glorious even if our roles are, are extremely small. You know, we don't admire the people that turned away. They aren't blessed. You know, there are not a lot of kids named Esau out there. We, we don't admire the people who had it easy. You know, don't forget Daniel's other friend, the one who didn't go through the fire. You know, he's my favorite. You know, you don't, no one says that. Um, it doesn't have to be anyone huge. They just have to be faithful. I mean. I look at uh, my own children, we kind of named them all after our personal heroes. And uh, Lila, she's just uh, Shauna's aunt who was simply faithful to encourage her in the faith. And, uh, you know, that faithfulness is what matters. Uh, When it comes to our own lives, you know, we can be so narcissistic. At least I am. I don't know about anybody else. When things get rough, we always want to play it through, like we're the star in some indie movie uh, where everything is about how it affects us. Everyone forgot, everyone forgot to help me wash dishes again, and the sad music plays in the background. <laughs> I wonder what my life could have been if I had followed my dreams. Uh, or Wilson's example is of a kid who runs with a jug of milk and trips and crushes it on the sidewalk, and you know, You've got this chance to show grace to your son, but often, instead, we get all, you know, personal about it. And, say, oh, I can't take this anymore. I told you not to run. You know, you, how can I stand this? Um, you know, m- many of you have uh, heard this story, but several years ago, I was going to every middle school in Knoxville uh, with a stack of resumes, and I was doing the hard work of looking for a job, and time was growing short, you know, it was, uh, the school year was starting soon, but, you know, things were not at all dire. Uh, in reality, I was just a few providential encounters away from God providing me with my job in Nyota, where I worked for a couple of years. But, you know, when you're cold contacting principals, obviously, um, you know that most of them are not going to have anything good for you. They're just like, well, okay, thanks. Um, and so you can become discouraged. And that's a great time for self-pity, and uh, you know, the sad music starts playing, and just, I'm trying so hard, and it was July, and I was sweaty, and I wish I was exaggerating when I say that I, I imagined the heat causing me to pass out, and that people would walk by and say, oh, wow, man, he really wants it, doesn't he? And then I, I let that go for about a minute in my head, and then I was like, what an idiot. Don't be such a baby. Good grief. I mean, you, driving, you have enough gas to get around Knoxville and, you know, money in the bank, and you got some resumes, and what's the big deal that you're a little sweaty? Just calm down. Um, you know, God, is, God was good to me, and I was, you know, overplaying the hardship of it. Um, you know, we should want our lives to be minor roles in Jesus' hero movie. You know, God is the one audience that we're playing for. We want to take the role, the role that he's given us today, and we want to be rock solid in it. Uh, that will be a great movie. That will be the happy, the blessed life. Uh, maybe the role God has given you right now in this movie is poop diapers. And, and I'm not even talking to women. Uh, you're a if you're a man and you come home from work and you have an opportunity to bless your wife by changing poop diapers without expecting a compliment, without expecting uh, you know, anybody to be super impressed with you, you get to show God a picture of how Christ loves the church, which, which, which by the way is his favorite motif. Uh, don't blow it by being a wimp who acts like he's scared of a little poop. Uh, be rock solid, you know, change that diaper, play the scene God has given you, and play it well. Maybe the role God has given you in this movie is friend of the friendless. You know, When you're in school, everyone's always worried about being cool and uh, obsessed with you know, who will like them, who will be their friend, and that doesn't really change much at all throughout life. But you know, God doesn't like that movie. That movie is on 24-7, on repeat. Don't put yourself in that role. You get this one chance to be that one person who is compassionate and brave. Why would you give, give that up to play the same tired character that everyone else is playing? You know, did everyone notice my shoes? You know, who cares? I just uh, look for something higher. Um, my first year teaching, I had a student named Dixie, and that name stands out to me because she did what I don't think anyone else would do, uh, in the nine years or so I've been teaching, she was uh, fairly popular and she was fairly tough. And she repeatedly amazed me by how she would chastise her own friends for picking on an unpopular girl in her class, and then go and uh, you know talk to and comfort the unpopular girl. Uh, and she was kind of a rough kid. Uh, she would occasionally get into fights. So there was a lot not to to imitate there. Uh, but the, t- the toughest thing about her, I think, was by far the way that she looked out for the weak. It it's always impressed me to this day. Uh, the point is not to get caught up in how everything feels to you, what everyone else is doing uh, in your own story, but instead to nail the role that God has given you. God gives us challenges in life, not to make our lives miserable, but to make our lives better, more glorifying to him and more glorious to him. You know, have you ever asked your kids, like you have an activity that you think will be fun and kind of challenging, and, and then it turns into like an hour of whining, and you're thinking, well, gee whiz, this, this was supposed to be kind of fun, and I thought y'all would get into it, but apparently not. Um, and we do that with God all the time. You know, he gives us challenges, uh, and, but he also gives us the Holy Spirit to face every obedience. Uh, you take that role he's given you and trust Him to empower you and nail it as best you can. You know it's hard when you're grinding through some tedious process but you aren't making it any better by quitting on something that God has given you to do. You want to be like the classic faithful father. You go to the visitation for some godly man who has gone to be with Jesus and you hear his wife and children bragging about how he went you know day to day to some backbreaking job but never complained and he still found time to spend with his family. Uh, was that hard for him? Absolutely. That's, you know, there's a lot of difficulty there. But God gave him a role to play, and he dug his heels in uh, through the help of the Spirit and was faithful to it. You look back and say, man, it really was a wonderful life. Uh, I remember my grandfather's visitation, and the thing, the thing that astounded me uh, was what his little brother said. who wasn't at all little, but you know, he was in his 70s, but... He pointed out that, you know, there's this large age gap between my grandfather and him. And my grandfather, instead of leaving him out of the fun, would hold his hand and take him along. And that's just, has an opportunity that very few people nail. And he nailed it. You don't live a blessed life by abandoning your calling and following your heart. I don't know if y'all saw this recent obituary, which a lot of people said was the most brutal obituary they had ever seen. Um, It's got this sweet picture of this old lady, and you look at it, and you think, man, you know, you imagine brownies and Christmas at Grandma's house and all this stuff. And then you read the obituary, and it's a different story. It ends with, she abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, who were then raised by her parents. She passed away on May 31st, 2018, in Springfield, and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by Gina and Jay, and they understand that this world is a better place without her." Um, In the artsy film, you just follow your impulses, and whatever you do is is kind of interesting and cool. Uh, Life isn't like that. Faithfulness is glorious. Remember Job, he had it awful. He is one that we do feel sorry for, of course, but we can say that he had a blessed life also. The book is painful to read, and one day he lost uh, his seven sons and three daughters and all his servants, whom he certainly missed also. Uh, The only person left behind uh, was his wife, uh, because she had to stay behind and nag at him. And uh, we don't always appreciate the pain of his friends who come to comfort him and do a pretty good job for two weeks, and then they just kind of sit there and try to accuse him of every manner of evil under the sun. And so then that's a huge pain, too, a huge betrayal. Uh, and, And here's the thing, though. God became angry with Job's friends because they, in turning on Job, had insulted God. Even in all the suffering God gave to Job, Job was close to God's heart. And God's name and glory was bound up in this frail, pitiful, scabby man. Uh, God is presented as so exalted and glorious in that book that I hope you don't read it as God being distant and uncaring, because he's not. James tell us, tells us that we should read the book of Job. He says, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. At the end of Job... Uh, Job has this encounter with God that is so marvelous that it makes all the pain fade from his mind. You know, Gar- God is this marvelous consolation for Job. He encounters him in the whirlwind and realizes that his pers- perspective on his suffering hadn't taken into account the unfathomable glory of God. And he doesn't, this doesn't end his suffering, but it allows uh, him to receive it from the hand of God as part of the good life that God has given him. We get to play a role in his story and it really is a blessing. That's the good life. And then and then God turned around and he blessed Job double for all that he'd taken. Job, the book of Job ends with him having exactly double the livestock and exactly double the children. Now one person will say, as I have said, uh, how can you replace children who have died? Another person will point out, hold on. He didn't double his children. He gave him the exact same number. He started with seven sons and three daughters and ended again with seven sons and three daughters. The point is that God didn't need to replace the children that died. God doubled his livestock because they were gone. The children that died in chapter 1 We're still Job's children. He didn't have to give him twice as many in chapter 42 because those children were waiting for him close to the heart of God. So right now in heaven... Job is with his fourteen sons and six daughters, waiting for the final return of Jesus Christ. That little bit of suffering doesn't matter to Job now. He realizes that it was a good life, and even his immense suffering was a small price to pay to encounter the merciful and compassionate God. So we've seen how we should go through suffering. Those who are wholly devoted to God wait on God to bring good from their suffering. Maintain love for other believers and reconsider what the good life looks like. I don't know if this message has struck the right tone of too optimistic or too negative. Uh, It makes me think of the words of Hebrews 6. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it. This is the rain, you come here every week and receive the rain, and you have the word of God in your homes, and you receive the rain, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. That is such a hard work, or that is such a hard word, we want to produce fruit, We want to plant our hearts in Jesus, and we want to see the fruit come forth, not to prove that our profession was worthless in the end. So I want to end with my confidence for you all the same thing the writer of Hebrews said following that warning. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Let's pray. Father, you have given each of us so many different calls, and yet... We all have the same call, to glorify you in everything we do, to take up our cross and follow Jesus every single day. O God, if anyone feels that cross is a burden that you unfairly make them carry, please break their hearts to see the sin that they are harboring. Lord, break my heart. Help me to perform all that you have given me to do as a happy servant. Help us all to serve you with joy. Jesus help us to walk in your power every day. Grant those who have been struck, uh, who have been stuck in the grind of shame and failure to really see you this morning and the power that you have given them. Help them to know your forgiveness and to walk in it. Spirit, help us to rely on you every day until we reach the end of this often difficult road. Lead us through the wilderness to the promised land. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son